0: Well, good morning, Hallows Church. I am so excited to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Stephen, and I am now a guest here at the Hallows Church. I serve as the pastor of the Point Church and Federal Way, uh, and I'm so excited to be back with you guys, uh, sharing God's Word with us. So guys, when, uh, when I was looking at our passage for today... I remember, probably not the first time I heard it, but I remember learning uh, this passage when I was like a little kid, like 30 years ago, which is really hard to say for someone who's about to be 35, like that I remember something from 30 years ago. It's really weird. But I remember this story, and I remember I was, I was living in San Jose, California. We, were, we lived uh, in an urban area, and I had no idea what it was like to farm. Like I had no idea. I just saw grass and I thought like grass was always there. Like I I saw fruit and like fruit was always there. I just had no like frame of reference for farming whatsoever. I definitely had no idea like about the care that it takes to raise things. And my whole life, I grew up. Now, you know, I, for when when I was younger, we had houses. But as an adult, I've only lived in like townhouses and apartments. So I never knew what it was like to tend a lawn. Had no idea. And then, by God's grace, we we moved to Federal Way, my wife and I, and now we have a yard, and I was so excited. I was like, man, first of all, I don't have to put my dog on a leash to take it out to go to the bathroom. Like that was the thing I was most excited about probably. But uh, then I was like, we have a yard and we can have people over and it's gonna be so awesome. So, you know, a few weeks, a month goes by into living in this house, and I start looking, and I'm like, man, someone needs to take care of that lawn. There's a lot of weeds out there, and it's getting long, and then I was like, oh, that, that's me. Like, it is my job now to take care of this lawn, and y'all, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, none whatsoever. I, like, I, I didn't have a lawnmower. So luckily, uh, by God's grace, someone in the church had an extra one and they brought it over to me. And that thing is great for what it does. It's uh, it works, and you know, praise God that we're excited. So I was like, okay, cool. I've got I've got one of those. And and so I remember the first time going out and getting to to mow the lawn. I thought I was so excited. I was like, this is it. I'm going to pop my headphones in. I'm going to listen to a podcast and I'm just going to go. And so I mowed the lawn and I felt so accomplished. And then, like, a week went by and I was like, I had to do this again? Like the, the stuff just keeps growing, right? And then then when I got to the house, like all the, there was like flower beds and stuff and uh, they were just completely barren. And then uh, I saw that there were some like flowers that had been planted that started sprouting up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Isn't God great? You know, he created all these plants for us to look at and it's so exciting. And then all of a sudden, all this other crap started coming up, right? Like, I was like, what is that? That's got thorns on it. That thing hurt. That thing is bigger than all the flowers I've got. And then all of a sudden, my flower beds were just overgrown with weeds. I'm like, who is gonna take care of this? Again, it's me. So, like, I'm learning what it's like to tend a garden. And there's this big patch in my backyard that has like no grass, some weeds. So, it's like kind of green, but mostly it's dirt. Threw some seed out there. Figured, yeah, that's how you grow grass, right? You just throw seed and it grows. Guys, that's not how that works either. Like, I've got these crows that keep coming back to my backyard looking for seed. I'm like, what is happening? I've got no idea how to take care of a lawn. Got no idea how to take care of plants whatsoever. How to grow anything? Like, to be honest, if I just kill my entire lawn, I'm kind of okay with that. At least I won't have to do as much. But I don't want anyway. But Jesus in this story today is talking to a bunch of people who know how to make things grow. He's talking to an agrarian society, a society that that grows their own food. So of course Jesus would tell a story about farming to help these people understand the truth about him. Took a very long time for me to kind of understand the idiosyncrasies of casting seed, but to the, the early first century audience, they would have understood. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love to invite you to open to Luke chapter 8. We'll, be in, we'll start in verse 4. Luke is a, a biography of Jesus' life that we call a gospel. It's written by uh, an early first century doctor and, a, and possibly a lawyer. And he's just a really smart dude. And he, he really gave a, a great accounting of Jesus' life. And so today we see Jesus... In front of a, a huge crowd, in fact, some people think it may be the largest crowd that he, to, he had ever preached in front of and may ever preach in front of. And so he has this large crowd that's incredibly diverse, people from all over the place. And so he tells a story to, to relay a truth in a language that they understand, farming. And so in chapter 8, verse 4, Says this, as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So at face value, it's a pretty simple idea. A farmer goes out with his bag of seed, whether it was a small on his belt or if it was over the shoulder, but he grabs seed and he threw it to the field. Now, some of this is kind of confusing to me. Like I didn't understand why he would be near a path. Like why is he throwing it on a path? We'll talk about that in a second. But it's a pretty straightforward story. Jesus making truth very clear. And then he ends it with this interesting phrase, let all those who have ears hear it. Have you ever read something in the Bible and been like, I have no idea why that's there and just kind of passed over it? Have you ever read something in the Bible and thought like, ooh, I don't understand that at all. so Sometimes you just pass over it. Well, the disciples, these 12 men that Jesus had chosen to follow him, they didn't get stuff a lot, a lot. And so they find themselves coming to Jesus in verse 9 saying this, then the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but the rest is in parables, so that looking you may not see, and hearing you may not understand. Now, if I was the disciples, I would have said, Jesus, you didn't answer our question at all. (laughs) Like, you you actually just confused me a little bit more. But what Jesus is showing here is he has this large crowd, and so he tells a story about farming, but he's actually telling a story about the human heart. Jesus takes a moment with this giant crowd and decides to tell the story of us. Now, in this crowd, it says that there were people from all over. We know that he's talking to his 12 apostles. And then there's a group of people, like a larger group that we call disciples, that were following Jesus as well. And then there were people that were seekers, right? They were trying to find Jesus. Uh, They were trying to understand what Jesus was saying. And then there were probably skeptics in this crowd, right? People who just really didn't think that Jesus was who he said he was. And then there were antagonists, like people who like really knew that Jesus wasn't who he said, and they were there to kind of boo and hiss. So there's this giant, diverse group. And Jesus tells one story to describe that entire group. And growing up, listening to this story... I always thought of myself as the sower. I was the the one casting out seed. Jesus would go on to explain, and we'll read it in just a second, that that Jesus said that the the seed is the good news of, of, of God, God's word. So I always pictured myself as the sower. But guys, that's not really what Jesus says this is about. Yes, we can probably draw a parallel to how we should cast out the word of God, but We're the soil, all of us in this room, whether we've put our faith in Jesus or haven't, whether we're a skeptic or a seeker or a believer or none of this is for us and we're just here to boo and hiss. We are all the soil that the word of God is coming to. And Jesus sets up this idea that it's the condition of your heart's that will determine how you receive the word of God. And it's really interesting here because then he quotes the book of Isaiah and Isaiah was a a, a prophet in the Old Testament four or 500 years before Jesus. And Isaiah has this experience where he has a vision that he's in front of the throne of God. And in that experience, He writes about in Isaiah 6, he puts this down. He says, then I heard a voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, this is Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. And he replied, go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Now, this is a weird, really (laughs) weird mission for God to send Isaiah on. God says, who will go? Isaiah says, I'll go. And then God says, okay, close people's ears, close their eyes, harden their hearts, make them turn away from me. And Isaiah had to be thinking, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. God, like, right, we think of our mission as believers in Jesus, as, as turning people's hearts, helping those hearts to come to God, eyes to be opened, ears to be opened. But this charge to Isaiah seems to be the complete opposite. And so Jesus linking these two things together is really interesting. But I think as Jesus explains the rest of this parable, we start to see what he's talking about. See, God knew that when Isaiah would preach, people would close their own ears. The more he pushed against their sin, they would close their eyes to the truth of God. The more that he threw out God's word to them, their hearts would be hardened. So while Jesus or God wasn't demanding that Isaiah close people's eyes and dull their ears and turn their hearts from God, God knew that the truth of his word would probably do that. So Isaiah actually fulfills this mission, not by talking weirdly and not by trying to trick people or not by being mysterious, but by truly speaking God's word clearly. And the more clearly his word went out, the more people's eyes were closed and ears were closed and hearts were turned away from him. So Jesus now links this idea, this condition of people's hearts, with the good news that he is bringing. Re- repeated rejection of God's word begins to do something to us. And we all can, we know people in our lives and we all have been the people who have rejected something that God has been trying to tell us, and slowly we, become, we hear it less, we see it less, and we become numb to those truths. So then Jesus goes on to describe the conditions of our hearts. He begins to tell us that we are soil, and he shows four ways that we can be, four conditions that we can describe our hearts as. The first one is a hard heart. In verse 11, it says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, this idea of of throwing seed onto the path really tripped me up when I was little. I was thinking like, even as, you know, as I got older, I was like, well, you know, I probably know that if I throw seed onto like, you know, a path, it's not going to grow. That's why it's a path, right? I'm I'm not a hiker. I don't do those things. I don't like outside very much, but uh, I assume how a path gets uh, made in the wilderness is that people just keep walking it, right? People keep walking this path, and as it's cleared, it gets, you know, Tamped down and, and stuff stop, stops growing. And all of a sudden now we can see where people are going. So I'm thinking that's my idea of a path. Like why would this guy be in a field and then go find a path for him to throw seed onto? But the reality is, is the way that farms were set up in ancient Palestine is there are these really long rows with paths in between. And so the sower, as he's sowing, is walking up and down. He's doing his routine, right? He's walking this row, and he's casting seed. And some of it would happen to fall in front of him. But this is a path that he walks over and over and over again. This field probably wasn't hard when he started, but by the time that it became a routine for him to walk this field over and over and over again, it became hard. Hardened hearts are the same thing. Our, as things become routine, as we walk through life, the truth of God's word can start to be falling into our routine and trampled. Right? As I just walk through my routine, as, my, as, as I am going through the motions of, of reading the word, of maybe coming to corporate worship, or, or even just the routines of life... We begin to get in this rut, and we begin to say, like, I've I've got my lane, I know where I'm going, nothing needs to come in. And unintentionally, by going through our routines, by making that which should be sacred routine, our hearts become hardened. It's very easy, you know. One of the great things that a uh, piece of advice that I was given about um, my marriage was, you know, continue dating your wife. Right? Keep going on dates, and that's great. It's really great to keep going on dates. My, my wife and I went on a date last night. It was great. Cost me a lot of money, but it was great. Loved it. Loved that time together. But it's so easy for those times to just become routine. Uh, it's another date night where are we going to go this time? Let's go. And something that should spark joy and affection and love for my wife can quickly just become a routine. And so I may be trying to sow the seed of love. God may be trying to sow the seed of love in our life. My wife might be trying to sow the seed of love, but because I'm in my routine, because I've just continued to walk this path, those seeds don't take root. They sit on top of my hardened heart, and what happens is when we when when seed will sit on top. Like this is kind of me understanding how things grow and kind of not. But so seeds, if they grow, uh, if they're just sitting there, there's a chance that if they sit there long enough, they could like sprout. Roots could go down and break through that hard soil, and it could could grow. It probably won't grow very well, but it's there's a possibility. So Jesus takes this analogy a step further and he says that when seed is cast onto the hardened heart, birds come and they pick the seeds off one by one. And so when God's word comes into our routines, when God is trying to break through those things and get into those things that we have just decided, well, this is just what I do. I come on Sunday morning and I worship and I leave, but God is trying to intersect. He's trying to get something that should spark joy and affection and love in us. As he throws word, his word, onto that, it sits on a hardened heart. And then the enemy comes and he gives worry. He gives doubt. He gives another thing that pops up. And the enemy comes over and over and over and grabs that word that God has put on your heart and he takes it away so that we would not believe and we would not be saved. A hardened heart is much easier to have than we think. It doesn't have to be anti-God. It doesn't have to be antagonistic. It can just be one that has lost its affection and wonder in the amazingness of God. As we walk the routines of life, it's so easy to forget and be amazed by God. Unfortunately, oftentimes, the hardened soil of a hardened heart is only broken up by the iron plow of tragedy. So often, we put ourselves on autopilot. And God is casting his word onto our heart over and over and over again. And the only thing that will wake us up is something tragic. Can you think of a time in your life where tragedy drove you into the arms of God? I'm not saying that the tragedy happened because your heart was hard. Because tragedy is going to happen to all of us. But the condition of our heart when that tragedy happens is going to determine how we react. If our heart is fully engulfed in love for the Lord, it will always drive me to God. Sometimes, though, if my heart is hard, it will drive me away from Him. It will feel so, so much bigger than it needs to. In fact, we see conversion moments happen so often in times of great tragedy. Because when a hardened heart begins to be plowed by the plow of tragedy... We're looking for something. We start to get out of our routines. And once we're out of those routines, once the sacred becomes sacred again, we see Jesus. And so, friends, I'm asking, I'm begging, if we have hardened our hearts in the routine of our lives, we've got to ask for God's grace to break that up and to soften us to give us a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. The next condition that Jesus describes is a shallow heart. In verse 13, he says, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Worked in student ministry for many years. And this Very thing I saw happen often. You see, the gospel is appealing. The truth of who Jesus is is wonderful. And it can evoke evoke such great emotion within us. And in fact, it should evoke great emotion within us. And so I would see students who would, would respond to an emotional moment and choose to put their faith in Jesus Only so long as that boy or girl who was dating them stayed dating them. Only so long as their parents stayed married. Only so far as no one at school made fun of them for now being a Bible thumper or a Jesus follower. And I would see what looked like robust, beautiful faith die so quickly. But friends, it's not just students, that happens with adults. But what most often I see happen in the lives of believers who have kind of been walking with Jesus for a while is we find ourselves in a season where we're trusting God with everything because he's been providing abundantly for us. Life is going really well, and so our faith in Jesus grows, and then we lose our job. And then the car breaks down, and suddenly we can't pay our bills and the same God we were worshiping for being so faithful to provide, we now doubt that He can do anything for us. We think that He has abandoned us. It's because our faith was based in something emotional and hadn't grown a deep affection for Jesus. See, great emotion is essential to a true, robust faith. But it can't stop there. There must be a depth of affection for the person of Jesus for us to look at hard times and say, you know what? God is still the same provider that he was yesterday when I had a job. He's still the same provider and sustainer of life that he was before we lost our child. If faith is based in emotion, then we will only live from peak to peak, and we will lose faith in the valleys, and that is not a faith that will persevere. Paul, who was an early church father, wrote about this in Romans. In chapter 5, he says, we have also obtained access through him by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A deep faith, a heart that is not shallow, knows that when affliction comes, We can, as the brother of Jesus, a guy named James would write, we can count it all joy when trial comes because trial allows us endurance and endurance character and character fruit. So friends, are you tossed to and fro by the storms of life? Are you only someone who worships Jesus on the mountaintops and forgets him in the valleys? Because he's the same God that placed us on the mountaintop. That same God sees us in the valley. And a deep affection for Jesus lets us know that. Truly understanding who he is. And not just having an emotional response to what he's done, is what allows that to happen. Now, friends, I don't want anyone to feel condemned because I know what that's like. This has been, this year, these two years leading up to church planting have been the hardest of my entire life. And there have been times when I wish I could just go home. There are times I wish I could just pack it in. I'm so tired, and we haven't even started yet. But the same God who brought us here is the same God who will bring us to wherever we're going, whatever He has. And it's my affection for Him that gives me hope, not what I see, not what happens to me. And, friends, we can do it. We can't do it alone. We do it together as we encourage each other. As we come together and we hear God's word go out, it penetrates our hearts because we are people with deep affection and deep hearts. The third heart that Jesus described was an infested heart. Verse 14 says, and for, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. Friends, an infested heart is one that's divided by irreconcilable loyalties. Where does your loyalty lie? Oftentimes, we, what we see Is that when the word of God goes out, it can begin to take root in our lives, but it is quickly choked out with stuff. That can be physical stuff. That can be emotional stuff. That can be life, work, sports, school. When the word of God goes out into our hearts, we have to choose where our loyalty lies to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Stephen. So often, we look at our lives and we think, well, when I get this promotion, when we're making this much, when our kids get to this age, whatever it is, then we'll have space for Jesus, right? If only we can get ourselves to retirement, then God, you have my life. If only I could get that raise, I will give more to the poor. If only I I have what I need, then I will begin to do what you've called me to do. Because money isn't bad. Status isn't bad. Jobs are essential. I get it. but they begin to divide our loyalties. Have you ever had God call you to do something? You felt like God was asking you to take a step toward him and you couldn't because you were holding on so tightly to what you already have? It reminds me of the story in the Gospels where Jesus is approached by a very rich young man and he asks about the commands of God. And Jesus says, you know, you know the Ten Commandments. And the guy said, yeah, absolutely. I, I follow all the commandments. I love my neighbor as myself, and I love the Lord my God. And then Jesus says, okay, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And, and the Bible says that the, the young man was sad and turned away because he had divided loyalties. He was okay if following Jesus didn't encroach on his stuff, if it didn't encroach on his lifestyle. But once living what Jesus asked us to do, once it starts to affect how we live our lives, especially financially, we start to hit the brakes a little bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you guys know that Jesus talked about money more than anything? Look it up. He mentions money more than any other subject. It's wild. Because he knew that our loyalties would be divided. He knew that as, the, as his word would go forth into our hearts and spring up, it would be choked out by all the stuff. Guys, I wish I could have someone do my lawn for me. I wish I was making that money. I sure wish I had a car that didn't have 208,000 miles on it, that had enough room for my wife and my child and other folks. I wish that we had the the house down by Steel Lake, that had some extra bedrooms, I could have my man cave, right? Like I, I really, really want it badly. Have all my video game systems set up, get that new TV that I wanted. I really do want those things, God. I like like stuff. I love shoes. I don't have enough. My wife would think differently, but I don't. But where are my loyalties? If God is asking us to live a different quality of life, are we willing to do it? Truly, are we willing to do it? Because it's not easy. And there's grace there. There's a chance every day to start new. His mercy is new every morning. But friends, so often God's word comes into our hearts and there's just so much stuff that crowds it out that we don't have time for Jesus. And so it's choked out because our heart is infested with irreconcilable loyalty. Where does your loyalty lie? It's really hard. It's really hard to understand a life where we struggle, but it's what Jesus called us to. He promised that trial would come, He promised that we would be poor. He promised those things. Because that's who He called us to be people who live with open hands saying that this stuff doesn't define me. My loyalty lies in Jesus. Oftentimes we find ourselves buying things we don't need to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. And I think that that kind of sums up a lot of American society. When when we are caught in stuff, Whether that's time, money, things, debt, whatever. The word of God doesn't have place to take root in our lives. And the final thing that Jesus described was a noble heart. A heart where there was good soil. And in in, in verse 15 it says, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who having heard the word With an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. The Word of God is constantly and consistently being cast onto the field of your heart. The question is are you holding on to it? Are you allowing it to be plucked by the enemy? Is it drowned out? by all the stuff? Are there no roots to go down? The condition of your heart will determine your receptivity to the good news of Jesus. Remember, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, it is not the ABCs of the Christian life. A pastor in New York, a guy named Tim Keller, says that the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. So often, I think that as we mature in our faith, we think, well, I can move past the gospel. And that is the deepest and gravest mistake that we can make. In fact, there are epistles, there are letters written to the early church just about those things. First, second, and third John, uh, John, who is Jesus' best friend, he's writing to churches saying, look, you forgot what love is. And that's essential to the gospel. Paul, that early church planner I talked about, he wrote to a church in Thessalonica and he says, look, you guys are so concerned with angels and the end that you don't understand. It's the gospel. The gospel is everything that we'll ever need. And it makes a difference in all of life. That's a phrase that we use here very often at the Hallows. We discover the difference that Jesus makes in all of life. But the condition of our heart is what will determine how well we allow the gospel and allow Jesus to infiltrate. And that's what he wants to do. I think infiltrate is a great word. Because he's not here to come alongside of it. He's here to take over, to be Lord. And so, friends, I don't know what condition your heart was when you walked in today. Whether you would say that you have a hardened heart, a shallow heart, an infested heart, or a noble heart. But God's grace is that in a moment, our heart can be changed. But we have to ask. The Holy Spirit can do His work. The Holy Spirit could force us, but He doesn't choose to. He allows you the dignity to say, God, change my heart. And renew in me a right spirit. Those are the words of an ancient Jewish worship song. Renew in me, Lord. Friends, This parable is not about the lost, or not just about the lost. It's about those that God is still trying to win over. Us. Because so often, we forget. We forget the truth of God's word. Though it is always being cast onto our hearts. So friends, I ask, where is your heart today? And if it's not in that noble category, just ask and God will change it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are, what you've done in us, through us, with us. God, I am so humbled that your word comes to my heart on a daily basis. Lord, that you Are showing me through your word, through your people, through your songs, through your creation, who you are. Lord, forgive me when my heart is hardened by the routine of life. Lord, forgive me when my heart is shallow and I do not have deep affection for you. Lord, forgive me when my heart is invested in in divided loyalties. Lord, I pray that you would give in me a noble heart heart that is good and true that is receptive to your word but I pray the same for my friends or that your word would go out and it would find a place to take root to grow deep and robust or for those who don't know you at all but I pray that they would seek you or for those who do know you I pray that they would seek you The gospel will make a difference in all of our lives. In Jesus' name.